0: Good morning again, good, morning. Good, morning. good to be sharing God's word with you this morning. Um, we're going to continue our uh, our look at the apostles and the Jesus sending out of his apostles in Matthew chapter 10. So turn with me there as we look at verses 11 to 15 this morning. So Matthew chapter 10 verses 11 to 15. Matthew chapter ten verse eleven, and into whatsoever city or town you shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till you go things. When you come into an house, salute it, and if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it; but if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whatsoever, and whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust. Off your feet. Verily, I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for your precious word. We just thank you for the life of our Savior and for the record that was kept of him and what he did, and of the apostles. Father, we pray that uh, we would learn something from this passage today. Father, teach us your ways. Father, I pray your spirit would be working in every heart now, that we'd be open to your truth and that we'd allow it to sink deep and that it would bear fruit in our lives. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. And we thank you for your continual forgiveness, Father, for our failings. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We um, are blessed in this country. um, And I'm not sure if many of you would agree with me but having wall-to-wall news coverage 24 hours a day um, is something that previous generations have not had. Um, I think it only essentially started after about 1990. Remember when the Gulf War was on in Iraq? Um, You had a lot of of, uh, news companies beginning to give 24-hour coverage because of what was going on over there, and in essence what happened after that was news stations decided it was a good idea to have 24 hour coverage, so then we are truly spoiled in the, of the west. We have hundreds and thousands of different news organizations, all of them are trying to get our attention, all of them coming in from a particular angle, all of them wanting to, to, to get your readership. But it wasn't always like this, you understand that, don't you? The printing press was invented in, in uh, 1440. Okay, so before that time there was no, no, no newspapers in essence. The first newspaper came out about 1600. So it's a fairly new phenomenon, really. It's 400 years out of the history of mankind, which is over 5,000, um, of rapid communication going out to everyone. But what did they do for news before newspapers were invented? I mean 1600, so up to 1600, um, there were no newspapers. How did people get, um, get word out? How did they find out about the latest news that was going on? How did the government or the king or whoever it was that was in charge get his information out to the, to the various people? Well, have you ever heard of a, a person called a town crier? You may be thinking of a person now in your mind that you know who's a bit of a crier. But no, that's not the, that what I'm talking about. A town crier had the responsibility of sharing important information with the people of a particular town. That person was appointed by normally the mayor of the town. He represented the king. And I'll give you some information about town criers because in England, um, the, the, the job of a town crier was critical and it's, that, whole, that job actually spread as, as the, the, the Commonwealth and as the, the British Empire spread throughout all the world, the position of that, of that person became all important. They were sometimes called the bellmen. And they were called bellmen because, guess what? They carried a bell. We carry a bell. Okay. We normally carry a bell, why? To get people's attention. So these guys would carry a bell, probably bigger than this one over here. And they would go ringing that bell in the town square. So most towns, most cities had a town square where people would either congregate or people would meet, um, and these people would would go dressed up in quite colourful clothes. I mean, the English, the English town criers would go dressed in either a gold or a red, red cape. They'd have white breeches, black shoes, and they'd wear these triangular hats. Okay, so people would recognise them immediately who they were. These guys were the newsmen of their day, and they had a very important job of actually delivering important information to people. Actually the first they say the first town crier were the Spartan runners. So the Spartans were were the Greeks. And and they would run to deliver important news from the from the king or the emperor, whoever it was, to either to small towns if the country, for instance, was being invaded by a foreign country, it would be pretty important to get the news out to the, uh, to the population to say, prepare for this or, or do this or do that. Town criers were protected by law. Ever heard of the, the term, don't shoot the messenger? That's where it comes from. the town criers had a responsibility to delivering news from the king. So if you didn't like what you were hearing, and sometimes they'd have to deliver news they didn't like either. For instance, your taxes are going up from 20% to 25%. But they had a very important job to do. And normally these were people that were well-educated and they they had good standing in the community. They had to be able to read. Because whatever edict came from the king that was handwritten by his scribes with the king's seal on it, they were entrusted to read that thing out loud. So they would ring the bell and they would cry, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. Or, in other words, that was French for hear uh, ye, he, hear ye, he, hear ye. In other words, have a listen to this because I've got something important to tell you. And they'd read that, that important declaration or edict out in front of as many people as they could. They, they'd gather them in And then after they read that declaration, they would then take that thing that had come either from the king or from some important official and they would nail it to the door of the local inn. That's where everyone went. And it was normally right in the middle of town. They would post it on the door. That's where you get so many newspapers that are called the post. So what does that have to do with this? Well, as we look at Jesus sending out his apostles to the towns and cities in Israel, guess what they were doing? They were the town criers. Jesus had designated them to be the town criers to deliver a very important message to all the towns and cities in Israel. Their job was to go, as Jesus said, to the lost sheep of Israel. And they would declare that the king had arrived. And it was their responsibility now to receive him as their king. Look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. It says there in verse 5, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans, enter you not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And why did they go just to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Because these people were entrusted with the promises of God written by the prophets, written by generations before with the important information that God was going to send a Messiah. He was going to send a deliverer. He would send a king who would eventually sit on King David's throne. And this person had would have these characteristics. God told it a thousand years, more than a thousand years ahead of time. 700 years before he was born. God told Isaiah to write down that this person would be born of a virgin. That this person would be born in Bethlehem. That this person would be born of a particular lineage of people. So you'd be able to check when this person arrives in the scene all you'd have to do was check where were you born, what's your lineage, what's your parents, where are your parents coming from? And there'd be a, there are a number of other prophecies. There's, some have counted 300 prophecies that were written about Jesus leading up to his arrival. So the Jews had a very important job of understanding those promises, understanding those predictions, what we call prophecies, And then when he arrived and he said, this is me, I'm the one who God has promised all the way back from the garden. These people had the responsibility of saying, yes, he's the one. He ticks all the boxes. He's our king. And our job is to receive him as the king. And then their job was to declare it to the whole world. Our job, in essence, is similar. The difference with us is that we're not saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're saying the kingdom of heaven has already arrived. The king has already arrived. And the world has already rejected him completely. But instead of installing him as the king, the world crucified him and killed him. But God had already plans. He already knew exactly what would happen. And God used the rejection of the world and and Jesus' own people for our good. Our job is similar to what the apostles were doing. We are the town criers of our generation. We are the people who are meant to go forth and say, the king arrived, the world rejected him, but you know something? He died for the sins of the world. That's good news for us because we didn't have any chance without that. Our witness to the world is that Jesus Christ is the son of God and is the saviour of all mankind. So look at verse 7, it says, And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As I've mentioned already, we don't preach the same message they did. Some people mix this this passage up and say, Oh, this is how you should preach the gospel. No, it's not, because it's not even the gospel here. The gospel that we preach today is that Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, went to a cross, died for the sins of the world, shed his blood that our sins might be forgiven, and whoever receives him as their Lord and Saviour, they are saved. The Jews or the apostles had the job of telling Israel and the towns and cities in Israel, your king is at hand, he's arrived. It's time for you to to receive him as the king. And then in verse 8, it says, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils freely you have received, freely give. Why would Jesus give them the authority to be able to cast out devils, cleanse lepers, heal the sick? You know why? Because no one else could do these things. And these were an indication to everyone else that this was legit, that this was legitimate. Who had ever heard of a a leper being cleansed? Someone with limbs and, 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 and skin falling off them to be instantaneously cured. Who had ever heard of someone with half a leg or someone born cripple being able to jump up on their feet? And carry their bed away with them. Had anyone ever heard of this stuff before? No. It had never been seen. But Jesus not only cured people who were born blind, who were born with palsy, who had leprosy, who were essentially people with no hope in the world, no hope of a cure, no hope of anything in life. Who had probably been ostracized by their own families and couldn't even approach their own people. They had to live in separate communities. If you were a leper, you had to, if you came in contact or close to anyone that was that didn't have the sickness, you'd have to cry out and say, unclean, unclean, to warn them that you had a communicable disease. What sort of a lifestyle is that? What sort of a life is that? Yet Jesus comes in the midst of this of people with no hope and says, Here, come on. He held them, he touched them, he healed them. He did things that no one else in the history of mankind ever did. And this was all to prove who he was. This was something that was already prophesied before. And the amazing thing I find with this is that Jesus takes those 12 guys that he's chosen, fishermen, people who are just with no education, and says to them, I'm going to give you the same power that I've got. And I want you to go out and I want you to tell everyone I've arrived. And the way they're going, you're going to prove this message is I'm going to give you the ability to be able to cast out devils, heal lepers, heal people that are are born blind and things of that nature. They were given. Sometimes people see, sometimes people look at Christianity and say, oh, look, Jesus did all those things for the sake of healing people, for the sake of those things. He didn't. Those things were not... Jesus. I know he fed 3,000 people and 5,000 people with a few loaves and a few fishes. That wasn't the purpose. He didn't come to feed the world. He did not come to cure every person who was blind or, 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 or with other sickness. He came to prove who he was and then for people to put their trust in him because only God can overturn the laws of nature because God made the laws of nature. So what resources did he send them off with? Look at verse 9. It says, Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet stays, for the workman is worthy of his meat. All the disciples, I mean, they, they were following Jesus. And one of the responsibilities of being a master with a number of people following you is that you had the responsibility to look after the people who were following you. Therefore, they had treasurers and they had people who donated to the cause and those sorts of things. They had to be careful about the money that they, uh, that they had and how they used it. But the amazing thing is here is that not only did Jesus say, all right, no, 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 I'm responsible to look after you while, while you're following me, obviously. But the amazing thing was, is that when Jesus sent his, his apostles out to towns that he wasn't anywhere near, He said, even when you're not with me, I'm still going to look after you. I have the ability to provide for you even when I'm not around. Now, there's only one person who can do that. And that's God himself. If Jesus was clearly teaching, you don't have to bring an extra coat. You don't have to bring extra shoes. You don't have to bring a purse with you. You don't have to bring a stave with you. You don't have to bring anything to protect you. I want you to go in a way that you learn to depend on me. The important lesson for us in that particular passage or that particular verse was that if God is able to provide for his apostles going, going out into towns with absolutely nothing then he provides provide for you and me. He can provide everything that we need. Yes, we may not get everything we want but everything we want is not everything we need. God never promised us we're going to get the latest car and we're going to get the biggest house and we're going to have all the latest clothes and and have all the latest technology at our disposal. God simply says, I'm going to give you what you need and that's my promise to you. And God never fails in that. God never fails. God is able to provide food, shelter, clothing, protection for the apostles and he can provide it for you and me as well. And then it finished off with these words, for the workman is worthy of his meat. Yeah. There is a a dignity. There is a dignity to working for God. Because having a position for God, such as an ambassador to the world, such as that 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 the town crier, it was a a position held in esteem. It was an honorable position. That person had knowledge and had abilities that the, the rest of the people didn't have. The reason that the person who was a town crier had to be able to read had to be knowledgeable is because a lot of people didn't have that knowledge. A lot of people couldn't read. So they relied on him, on his honesty, on his ability to be able to receive important information that was possibly um, critical for their own lives. So that's where we get to this passage today. And this passage says in verse 11, And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy and there abide till you go thence. and when you come into a house salute it and if the house be worthy let your peace come upon it but if it not be uh, be not worthy let your peace return to you now what does this mean i mean that's an interesting way to start a missions trip isn't it i know when people organize missions trips today they already have worked out how much money they need they have worked out where they're going to stay, who they're going to meet once they arrive there, where they're going to be housed, what they're going to do, what resources they're going to have. They plan out everything in minute detail. And yet Jesus tells his disciples, uh, you know something? When you walk into a city, inquire who's worthy there. It's a funny way of actually organising your team, isn't it? But then again, he sent them out with nothing. He He sent them out with the clothes on their back and said, you go. I'll organise it. So he says, when you go into a city, ask who may be worthy. Ask about a worthy family or person and go and stay with them until you finish your job in that particular town and you're ready to move on. And and then you can move on. But what does worthy actually mean? Does it mean they're good enough as a person? Does it mean, I mean, when someone's worthy, you get the impression that they're good, right? No, it had nothing to do with good. Had nothing to do with smart, had nothing to do with rich or anything like that. Um, one thing they had to be careful about was that they had to be careful as the messengers of Jesus Christ, as the messengers of, of the ones who were declaring, well, we, we're aligning ourselves with Jesus and he's the Son of God and he has come and he's, he's going to bring righteousness to this world. Um, they had to be careful who they associated themselves with, didn't they? Can you imagine if the apostles chose to stay in a home of a person that was a known criminal? And he said, no, no, I want you to stay with me. And then people found out that they were staying in the home of a, some sort of a crook or a criminal. How would that affect their message, you think? They had to be careful who they associated themselves with. I mean, I've got some funny family that we try not to spend too much time with. <laughs> but Miriam's got more <laughs> there is no there is no quicker way to destroy, can you imagine if, if um, I spend ty- a lot of time with, with certain individuals in, in my uh, not immediate family but extended family um, who were involved in certain activities as the pastor of a church I mean it's already hard enough being Italian, we have an Italian background. People already thinking, ah, there's something going on over there. But can you imagine if I spent time, if people saw me spending time with known criminals, how would that influence people's thinking about me? And then if if that would begin to shape the way they think about me, how then would it affect the way they receive what I'm telling them? Of course it's going to affect it. Of course it's going to change. The way you receive, if you receive it at all. So the the, the apostles, when that, when Jesus said, "Find someone worthy," the first thing was they had to make sure that they they found someone who was had some sort of a decent reputation in town, that wasn't known to be involved in things that were you know, that were untoward. Because there's no quicker way to destroy your message than aligning yourself with someone who is already discredited. And even if your message is one hundred percent correct, if the person you you are with is is tainted in some way, your message will automatically be tainted. Turn to Acts chapter sixteen, verse sixteen, with me just for a moment. I want to give you an example of this, and how the apostle Paul dealt with it. Acts chapter sixteen, verse sixteen. We have a fair bit to get through today, so I'm hoping I can do it within a reasonable amount of time for you. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. Now Paul was out preaching the gospel. And it says in verse 16, And it came to pass as he went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her master's much gain By We have an individual over here possessed with a particular type of spirit that gives the ability to be able to soothsay. Um, Do you you know when you go and speak to an astrologer or you talk to someone who looks into a crystal ball or those sorts of things? 99% of them are rubbish. 99% of them are garbage. They don't know anything. But there are some if it has continued on who may bring up things about your life which you find absolutely extraordinary. You might say, how does that person know that about me? And then it convinces you that they're telling you the truth. There's a whole lot of stuff going on at the moment about WikiLeaks and about the government knowing stuff about individuals um, and finding out in nefarious sort of ways by looking at you through TVs and listening to your conversations over phones and you not being aware of it. Well, you know something, there is a wonderful network of demonic spirits in this world with a head over them who has been doing this same sort of thing for a very, very long time, collecting information about you and me. And these spirits are invisible, which makes them the first NSA. So when you go to an astrologer and they say something about you, and they say, oh, you have a, a relative and this particular thing. Don't be surprised, please. Because a demonic spirit can speak to another demonic spirit and can know things about you in an instant. And then they'll use that against you. And once they have your trust, they will tell you things that will destroy your life. And this woman was doing the same thing. She was... Telling people and making money with this sort of thing. And in verse 17 it says, And the same followed Paul and us and cried saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God which show us the way of salvation. Now is anything wrong with that message? Nothing wrong with that message. She's telling the truth. She's saying the absolute truth. She's saying these men have been sent by God and they're telling you the way to get saved. spot on except for one thing she was possessed with the devil she was a soothsayer and it says in verse 18 and this did she did many days but Paul being grieved it's a nice way of saying Paul got upset turned and said to the spirit. He didn't even speak to the woman. He spoke to the spirit that was in her. I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Now, if you read the rest of that story, and I'll encourage you to read it, the people who she was working for, who she was making money for, got upset with that. They ruined, Paul ruined their whole business model. They couldn't make any more money from this girl because she couldn't predict anything anymore. She couldn't, tell people personal stuff anymore but the point is this Paul realised that even though this person was telling the truth if people saw that she was with them then it would create a wrong impression and the impression would be that Paul was happy and aligning himself with people that were into necromancy, sorcery and those sorts of things so he had to distance himself. And how did he do that? He got rid of the spirit. Now, it's the same sort of things. I've had a number of conversations in my lifetime um, about involvement, our involvement with other churches. And they say, oh, how come you don't cooperate with so-and-so, the Catholic church? And why don't you cooperate with so-and-so? Isn't it a good thing that all the churches come together? Isn't it wonderful to, you know, to link arm-in-arm arm and sing kumbaya all the way? But it's, it's not. It's not good. Because the problem is that if there is a basic message that we're telling the world, it's that Jesus Christ came to this earth to save sinners like me. And he can save you too. Now if I join hands with someone else who is first of all telling a different message, you see, that message has been lost. That message is not preached, it's not shared anymore. That message has been corrupted by most of the denominations denominations that call themselves Christian, first of all. So they've corrupted the gospel, they've taken the simplicity out of the simple gospel that God gave to the world because it should be simple for someone to be saved, right? Do you think God made it that complicated that a person has to go through a 12-step program to get saved? Do you honestly think that? God made it simple enough for a farmer, for someone with zero education, come to him he didn't make it hard so that you had to have a top iq and you had to be fully educated and you had to be in a or born into a wealthy family he didn't do it like that people complicate things they like controlling other people and the problem the problem with linking arms and joining together with people and sharing the gospel is that most other churches have destroyed the gospel. They've thrown it away because they threw the Bible away a long time ago. And they turn to traditions, they turn to human philosophies, they turn to all other types of things that have corrupted the simple message God wants. And not only that, so let's just look beyond the gospel now. When you look beyond the gospel, which was made to be simple, it gets worse. Not only have most of the other denominations corrupted the gospel, but in most cases, they have completely destroyed the doctrines that build on gospel. They've destroyed the doctrines that are meant to build a person up in the faith. The word itself is a dirty word today. You go to other churches. There will not be many churches that preach doctrine, that even mention the word doctrine. Because according to most churches, it's a dirty word but it's so important to God that it inspired God to to tell Paul to write these words down. He said, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt save both thyself and them that hear thee. That's how important it was to God. That's how important doctrine is to God. There is a very clear reason why we do not associate ourselves with the denominations. One, they probably don't preach the same gospel as we do. And second of all, they don't have the same doctrine. I cannot possibly join arms of someone else and get someone saved and then send that person to another church not knowing what they're gonna teach them after. It's important who we associate ourselves with, both in our personal lives and as, as a church. And my job is to protect the church and the associations that we have. That's why we're called an independent Baptist church. Independent. We're not even going to associate ourselves with every other Baptist church because you'll find everything and anything in Baptist churches these days, it isn't the same and it continues to change and get worse as time goes on. So the apostles were to seek out a hospitable family, with a good reputation, who they could stay with during their time in that town or city. And as they entered the city, it would have been inevitable that that there would have been people in that city who would have already heard about Jesus. Go back to chapter 9 in Matthew. Matthew, Chapter 9. And I'll tell you why almost all of the towns and cities in Israel would have already heard about Jesus. You know why? Because he was the talk of the town. He was a talk of the whole country at that particular point. Look at it says in verse, chapter 9, verse 24 to 26. It says, He said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. This is Jesus. Okay? But when the people were put forth, he went in, took her by the hand, and the maid arose. And the fame hereof went abroad into all the land. Jesus raises a girl from the dead. Look at verse 29. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it. If you read on, can you read one more verse for me? Because I think I've missed that particular verse. But they, when they to spread abroad his fame in all that country. Did you get that? So Jesus opens the eyes of people who are blind. His fame was spreading everywhere. When you raise up people from the dead and you actually give sight to people that are born blind, the news gets up fairly quickly. So Jesus was sending his apostles into towns where people would have already heard this stuff was going on. So it was inevitable that there would have been people in those towns who were genuinely wanting to know more. Do you understand? That's the environment he was sending them in. He purposefully, purposefully, Did all these miracles and things before he sent them out, because he wanted to prepare their way, and he wanted people to start to ask questions. I'm sure there would have been in the average household conversations going on. Did you hear about that guy Jesus? What he did. Did you hear that actually he raised a person from the dead? Did you hear that he cured a lame person? Did you hear that he so? Okay, that can't be true. I heard it's true because so and so's cousin was blind and now he can see. Can you imagine the conversations that were going on? So Jesus sends his his apostles now into those little towns and villages and and cities, and they they then arrive and they say, oh, "We represent Jesus. Is there anyone here who can put us up for a few days?" And I'm sure there would have been people who would put up their hand and said, yeah, you know, you come and stay at my place." But it was also true. But the apostles could not possibly know the hearts of the people that were staying with. Just as I can't know your heart and you don't know my heart. So they had to put their trust into the people that they were staying with, didn't they? They had to. So look at Matthew 10 verse 12. It says, And when you come into an house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if if it be not worthy, let your peace return unto you. In other words, they could only really find out whether they were worthy or not, after they stayed with them. They may have asked a few questions before and, and done some background checks on these people, but only, it was only after you stayed with a person for a little while. You know, living with someone for a little while really opens up your eyes to what they're like. You know, we know each other quite well, don't we, over here? The question is, how well do we know each other? Because... It's only when you live with a person for a little while do you, do you find out what they're really like. I mean, I've kn- we've known friends and heard of stories of friends and family who were the best of friends and they come together in church every week and they go out to lunch all the time and stuff like that and then they decide to go on a holiday together. <laughs> and they spend a couple of weeks together, living together. Foolish people. Um, because then all of a sudden your perception changes completely about a person once you live with them. And it would have been the same for the apostles here. I mean, they, people look on the face of them normally nice. People are friendly and stuff like that. But when you start living with people, then you start realizing what they're really, really like. So in this particular case, he says to them, you know, if, if they are worthy, well, bless them. Give them your peace. If they're not worthy, if you find that there's something nefarious going on in that place or, or they weren't who they said they were then just take it back and head out. And they they wouldn't have possibly known if they were troublemakers or um, or that they might have had a facade on to try to get more or maybe they thought that, that, you know, if they had the apostles in their place, they could make money through it. They could become famous in their town. So there's a whole lot of stuff going on uh, in the background. And once again, it goes hand in hand with what the Apostle John says about people who come knocking on your door. Because the Apostle John says, if someone comes knocking on your door and they start preaching a gospel to you that's different to what the Bible says, he says these words, if they come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God speed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed speed is partaker of his evil deeds. Do you get that? So it goes along the same sort of line. Don't bless, encourage, promote people who are doing something that's contrary to what God wants them to do and say, especially people who are calling themselves Christians and are doing the opposite of what God wants them to say and the way God wants them to live. Now, so did God fail if they entered into a home where where the people were actually masquerading as as believers or masquerading as that they were genuine seekers of truth? Of course not. Jesus was warning them beforehand... And why did he warn them beforehand? Because Jesus knew in these situations that there was something to learn. Jesus sends them out as, what? Sheep among wolves. And he tells them to be as innocent as doves, but wise as serpents. Be aware of what's going on. And Jesus repeats a number of times, the children of this world are wiser, smarter, craftier, shiftier than the people of light than the children of light the children of light it's all fantastic I mean, it's lovely to be a child of God but the world, the world can be very devious so Jesus was teaching his disciples at the same time that there is deception going on and they needed to be able to deal with that deception and what it looked like but if they had faith in Christ and believed that all things work together for good in every instance there was an opportunity to learn it every time at every point God always prepares the way if we look for it. It's God who prepares the way, not us. It's God who goes before us, and not us who prepares the way for God. Do you understand that? It was necessary for the apostles to do and be obedient to what God was telling them. But God often works in our lives by preparing things ahead of time. I'm not sure what your testimony is today. But my testimony, if I look back at it, the more I think about it, the more I realise how many seeds were planted in my life by so many different people before I came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It didn't just happen like that. There are many seeds that have been planted by faithful believers in the lives of others by simply being obedient to the Lord. He can take that seed, cause it to grow, and open a person's eyes to the truth and so that they're saved. If Jesus prepared the way for his apostles to share the truth and provide for them, then you, should, you and I should have no doubt that God can prepare the way for us. When you share the gospel with others, understand something. Don't think you're in it alone. He's already gone before you. He's already prepared the way for you. And they may even reject you, but there's something to learn from that as well. I know that there is often, when I have conversations with uh, with some of you, there's conflict within about how much to press the point, how much to, to push the truth, how many times do we repeat the same thing, how many ways can we say it without being too annoying. Because if you genuinely love the people that you are with, whether they're families or friends or work colleagues or whatever it is, if you believe that you have something that is absolutely life-changing and will change your eternity for the good, then isn't it our responsibility if we're called to love to share what we have? But there is a conflict here that we have. How far do you go? And we don't want anyone to go to hell. So I suppose it's a fear that we have... Wanting the best for them, especially if they're family. Well, the thing in the Bible tells us is that we are never to stop speaking. Never stop speaking. We're never called to give up. And the mission given to us extends our entire lives. You see, the apostles were sent out on a missionary journey. They were sent out and they came back. We've We've been sent on a lifelong mission. And that mission is quite a complicated one. The message is very similar, but our context is also very different. Remember, the apostles were on a mission to declare that the Messiah had come and that the people should prepare themselves for his coming. In, one, in what context was this? In the context of a people that believed already in God. There was no doubt for the average Jew that God existed, there was no doubt that he would send his messenger. There was no doubt that his laws and his commands were just and true. There was no doubt that God's word was genuine. We don't live in that culture. We live in a culture that's nothing like that. Not only are we living in a Gentile culture, but we live in a, a, a postmodern culture that has discarded the truths or the foundations of Western civilization. And the most important foundation for Western civilization is the Bible. We are living in, a, in an era where that is being degraded and discarded. So when we preach the Gospel today, when we share what we know today, we are not sharing with people with knowledge. We are sharing with people who have no knowledge, but also people who have been told that it's, it's corrupt, corrupted corrupting and has is not the truth and that what makes this thing even worse is that there is no truth there is no truth so how do you discuss and have a conversation with someone about something as vital as believing that there is a a god and he loves you and he sent his son to die on a cross for you and he wants you to be with him in heaven and if you if you receive that you can be saved for all of eternity for us, it's the most important message we could ever give to the world, it's only one of a thousand messages. And none is more none is more right than the other one. What's amazing about the world is that they will believe in absolute truth of physical laws, they'll believe in the absolute truth of every of everything else except when it comes to your personal opinion about God. Everything becomes relative then. And that's the lie that's been swallowed in our generation. So how do we, how do we talk to someone when the, the ground beneath them and us is shifting at the same time? Well, we need to have faith in the Lord because he does plant, he does prepare the way. Jesus had prepared the way for his apostles. The message had gone forth and people's hearts should have already been ready to receive their king, but they weren't ready to receive him. They also had a very limited time to receive that knowledge too and to make a decision. They had a limited time. He was only there for a little while and before long he would, he would ride into Jerusalem. There was one chance for them to get a ride. Therefore, the apostles were sent with one message for one time. And if a town or city rejected that message, then they would kick the dust up off their feet and they'd go to the next town. Our message is different from the point of view that we are meant to be shining lights. We are meant to love. We are meant to share the truth. We are meant to stand firm on the word. We are to have confidence in God. We are to live lives that they see is different. That our lives have hope. That our lives have meaning. When there is no meaning, when there is no hope, when there is no foundation, when you see the multitudes of people committing suicide in our world, when you see the absolute desperation of people with no purpose in their life, our, our, our main purpose here is to show them that this message that has changed our lives is true. How faithful are we to that message? We need to be careful that we don't throw away the opportunity we have because they only have one life. We only have one life. Well, the apostles had the job of going from city to city and town to town because in the end, a country is made up of cities and towns and they had to make a decision as a country whether they would accept this king as their king. The apostles were in essence on a campaign trail. They're on the campaign trail. They were declaring to everyone, and anyone who wanted to listen, that there was a candidate that was coming along and he's the right one. And he ticks all the boxes and he's God's man. He's God's candidate. And if you choose him, then you will choose right. Now that's easy enough, isn't it, to tick a box. When When we vote, we go into a little booth and we tick a little box and no one knows who we vote for. So you, can, you can be voting for any party you like without any fear of people judging you or, or you know, telling you you're doing wrong or right. Uh, now there's something, there's something further, though, that Jesus was asking people. Because, they, first of all, they couldn't do it in private. They couldn't. They had to declare him publicly. Now people might go for something like that if he was proving who he said he was and doing miracles and stuff, some stuff like that. But that wasn't the end of the message. If they genuinely did believe that Jesus was the right person, then they, he was asking them to do something else as well. And he was asking them to repent and get themselves right with God, to forsake their sin, to forsake the world, to bow the knee to him. Now that's a slightly different story. So this king doesn't just want me to tick a box. This king wants me to forsake the world and to choose him. Well, you mean I have to change? You mean I have to repent? I have to give up stuff that I've been used to doing my whole life? I can't just remain anonymous? I have to actually be out there? That changes life a bit, doesn't it? Now, a lot of people love ideas and, they, and they're and they happy to tick the box when it doesn't affect them. But as soon as it affects them, all of a sudden the, the ticking the box business goes down dramatically because all of a sudden there's something required of me. And that's what happened in Jesus' day. When you tell someone to be counted publicly for something, you will then immediately find out where their heart really is. And if you choose to If you chose to follow Jesus then, you put yourself in a very vulnerable position. Both with the ruling council, who obviously hated Jesus. That might mean you lost certain rights. But proclaiming Jesus as your king when there was a Roman empire above that may mean that you lost something else. You may have lost your head. The challenge put to the people by the apostles was one of a radical decision that had to be made in fairly quick fashion with obvious risk. You had to be very, very convinced about what you were doing, that Jesus was the rightful king. If he was not, you had every opportunity of being killed for what you the decision you were about to make. That's why people like Judas, we look at Judas and we say, we see that he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, may have been all too happy to betray Jesus. Because in his mind, Jesus was probably the king, the rightful king. And he thought to himself, probably, because maybe in his, maybe if he forced Jesus' hand and forced him into a position where his followers would fight then maybe the whole thing would just speed up a whole lot more quickly. If he was really God's man, then if he betrayed him and, th- and they tried to take him, then all of Jesus' followers would rise up, there'd be a, uh, an insurrection, and then, and then they, would, uh, they would win the day. He was possibly looking for that uprising. Ever heard this phrase, though? The road to hell is paved with good intention? That's too common in our day. There are clearly good intentions out there but it leads often in the wrong direction. There are many people then and now with great intentions but will one day find themselves in a place of torment because they refuse to follow the truth. When it came to Jesus, when it came to Israel, sorry, Jesus knew what the outcome would be all along. There was nothing that surprised him. He knew that his people would not receive him. He knew it. God the Father knew it even though that was the plan that he told them that was, they were was supposed to do that. He knew from day one they would not receive him. In fact, he spent a lot of time telling his disciples, now the Son of Man is going to be betrayed. He's going to be handed over to the Gentiles and then they're going to crucify him and kill him and the third day is going to rise again. And, he's, and his, apostles, his disciples are saying, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? You're the king. You can't be killed. How does that even fit into the whole scheme of things? So when Jesus is standing before Pilate, and they've betrayed him and he's standing before a Roman governor Pilate answered or entered into the judgment hall and calls Jesus and says to him are you the king of the Jews and in verse 34 of John chapter 18 Jesus answered him sayest thou this thing of thyself or did others tell you about it and Pilate answered am I a Jew thine own nation and thy chief priests have delivered thee to me What have you done? So, Pilate was a Roman. He wasn't looking for a Messiah. He wasn't looking for a king. Yet Jesus' own people turned him into Pilate so that Pilate would kill him because they did not want him as their king. Pilate wasn't wasn't looking for a king. He didn't know the scriptures. He didn't know all the prophecies. He didn't know the Bible. But Jesus' own people did. But Jesus answered Pilate with these words my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from the hands. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? And Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth and every one that is of the truth, he is my voice. Jesus plainly said that he wasn't of this world. His kingdom wasn't of this world. In fact, his kingdom was from heaven. And he was the king of heaven. And he was bringing heaven's kingdom into this world, to this, world, to this earth. Imagine having the king of heaven ruling in your midst. And they threw him away. Instead, they destroyed their only hope, what the Bible calls the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. They chose wrong. Yeah, Jesus' servants would fight if his kingdom were of this world or from this world, but they weren't. And in a sense, we have the same message today. Receive Jesus as your Lord and your King and the Saviour of your eternal soul understanding the salvation that he brings and he will make you a citizen of heaven and the, the scary thing is is that heaven's doors are open at the moment and it's taking immigrants it's taking in immigrants from the earth It's allowing people to become citizens. You know, there's a a whole argument going on about people wanting to become American citizens because of the benefits. But let me tell you something, heaven's doors are open and the benefits are unbelievable. That people don't want to become a citizen of heaven. But heaven's doors will one day be closed. Heaven's doors will one day be closed. And then things will change. So what are we to do? Well, I heard a fellow once say that we had to be like bees, busy bees. How much do you push your friends? How much do you repeat? How much do you bang them over a head with this truth? I heard a fellow once say, he gave a, he gave a very good uh, analogy. He said, a bee goes from flower to flower to flower to flower to flower, constantly going from one to the other, looking for nectar, looking for pollen. Where there's pollen, he parks himself for a while. When there's no more pollen, he goes to the next one. No pollen, goes to the next one. That's what our lives should be like. Our lives should be like bees, going from one person to the other, to the other, to the other. Would you like to hear something? Would you like to hear something? No, that's fine, I'd we'll like to hear something. Do you want to hear something? Yeah, tell me more about it. You park yourself. There's not enough time to repeat the same message to the same person over and over again. There are too many people who are going to hell and there isn't enough time to get to all of them. So Jesus says in verse 14 and 15, "And your servant shall not receive you nor hear your words when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust off your feet, verily I say unto you, shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. When was the last time you shook your, the dust off your feet when you left someone's home? We don't do that because we live here. They visited there, then left we live here we're in the middle of it and once again our circumstances are different we need to understand we need to share with them the truth that judgment is coming to this world one day it will and the Jesus who everyone believes to be a meek mild-mannered lamb of a person will one day come back in absolute power and glory when heavens doors are closed And immigration time is over the armies of heaven the Bible says will invade the earth if you don't believe that turn with me to Revelation chapter 19 as we close up this sermon today because what's scary for us what's scary for me is this passage not for me because I won't be here but the fear is for the people that are left And I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men the flesh of horses and them that sit on them and the flesh of all men both free and bond both small and great and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army and the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone and the remnant was slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse which sword proceeded out of his mouth and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. That is not a good picture. That is not a very nice uh, passage. Our, our task here is to help people to understand that this world is in rebellion against God it has been in rebellion from almost day one and while heaven's doors are open immigrants can come in that they should be taking full advantage of it we should declare it we are the town criers of our generation The newspapers aren't going to tell it. The media isn't going to give it. We have been given a very, very important job to share this message with everyone. We've come with a message from the king. And the king is coming soon. And this king was rejected once, but he will not be rejected a second time. The cities that rejected Jesus at his first coming will be judged more harshly than Sodom and Gomorrah. And in the end, the whole world will be judged in a similar type of way. And they have a limited time to receive Jesus as their king. Let me ask you this morning, how long do you have? How long will it be for you? How long will you hold on to the world? How long will you fear losing what you have before you choose God? How long will you fear losing your friends or your face, or or risk persecution, or maybe losing a job, or maybe having to give up some sinful habit, or maybe being rejected by your family. Let me ask you, what is more important? The next few years of your life, or an eternity? How fearful will you be if you refuse him when you've had your opportunity and you fall into the hands of an angry God rather than to the arms of a loving God. Choose the arms of a loving God today because there will be no one to save you when those doors close. I'll close with this verse. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Turn to Christ today. Understand, if you don't know, ask. There are answers to every question that you have. If you don't know, find out. Because the only person who will lose in the end by not finding out is maybe yourself. God bless you. Thank you.